Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. The Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Moosehead. NCAA. Hey, it's Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcott. Hey, it's Kale McCarve. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Farabee from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Roberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikola Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, Scott and Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Zeri from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sampson. I play for Team USA. Brayden Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sounds. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Good weekend, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Guy Flaming, and I want to take a quick second to welcome you to the program. If you're a newcomer, I hope you'll be back for more. If you're a regular and returning listener, then thank you for coming back. And of course, if you are one of the growing numbers of uh, patrons at patreon.com slash The Pipeline Show, nice little community that we have going there where uh, listeners get a chance to have early access to the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show, get a heads up of who's about to be on the show for that week and uh, a chance to submit questions for those guests as well. If you're one of those patrons, then thank you very much. Your support means everything at this point. I, I really, really appreciate it. And I've said it in the past, but if not for the support of the patrons, I don't know that uh, at, that the Pipeline show would have survived uh, through the global pandemic. And I mean... Uh, all the advertising basically stopped, so it was really just uh, the support from patrons that kept it going, and I really appreciate it. Uh, thankfully, as things have progressed in uh, some parts of the world and some parts of uh, Canada and the communities are uh, getting back somewhat closer to normal, uh, some advertising has picked up again, and uh, of course the Pipeline Show is now powered by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It is the best beef jerky in Alberta, and I dare say it's the best beef jerky in the world. I've it's delicious, it's tender, it is so different than the beef jerky you get at your local grocery store. I, I, I'm at the risk of overhyping it, but man, if you try it, I haven't had anybody who has tried it who disagrees with, uh, with what I just said. Um, it's fantastic. It's only available at the two local stores, though. It's Bruce Grove or Leduc. But if you're in Western Canada, and maybe you're in Saskatchewan, well, you're not going to drive uh, just here for Wheelhawk Beef Jerky, although I wouldn't blame you. You can order it from them, and they'll ship it to you. You can't go down to the local 7-Eleven and get this. Uh, you have to get it right from them. So uh, at Spruce Grove, you would call 780-571-1515. You'd ask for Trevor there. And in Leduc, you asked for Trent. His uh, number is 780-986-2537. WilhawkBeefJerky.com is the uh, website, and Wilhawk is spelled W-I-L-H-A-U-K. Beefturkey.com. 
Let's get to the question of the day. This one uh, I haven't put up yet on Twitter, but I'm about to. Pretty straightforward uh, with the U18 now complete gold medal for Canada, silver for Russia, and a uh, very impressive uh, Swedish victory over Sweden in the bronze medal game. Eight zip. Didn't see that coming in that game. But what is the uh, the lasting impression uh, from the World U18 for you? Was it an individual performance? Was it the fact that the underage guys really stood out? I mean, you think of uh, Matt Vimichkov for Russia and Connor Bedard and Shane Wright. These are 15 and 16-year-olds who were lighting it up. Pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, but maybe your lasting impression or the lasting memory you'll have is a rather disappointing finish for the United States. End of a 16-year run where they finished on the podium, and I believe in 10 of those 16 years it was a gold medal. This is a tournament that uh, the United States usually dominates because of the U18 program. You get you know, a group of players who grow and develop and play together for two full seasons, and this is their Stanley Cup. Um, this year they were missing a, a few of those players because of injuries. Obviously a, a disappointing end result for the United States at the U18 in Texas, so the home team not really benefiting from home ice advantage. You can let me know your thoughts on that question of the day out on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. Quickly in the WHL, the uh, well, the, the Eastern Division uh, did wrap up last weekend. Brandon, Winnipeg, Saskatoon, the top three teams. We talked about that before. In the WHL Central Division, that has now also come to a conclusion. Uh, Lethbridge, the only team that played the full 24 games. Red Deer, Medicine Hat, and Edmonton, all with 23. Calgary. Uh, only was able to play 21 games uh, of the schedule. The Oil Kings ended with 41 points, a record of 20 and 2. Medicine Hat was next. They had 29 points uh, with 14 victories. Calgary uh, finished third, even though they played the fewest amount of games, but um, a 10, 8, and 3 record, just over 500. Uh, Lethbridge is next, and Red Deer struggled. Just four victories in their 23 games played. The uh, scoring champ. In the division, that'd be Jake Neighbors of the Edmonton Oil Kings, who had 33 points, and he only played 19 of uh, Edmonton's 23 games. Really impressive season for Oil Kings goaltender Sebastian Kosa. Started 19 games, won 17 of them, had a record of 17-1-0-1, ended it with a 157 goals against average and a 941 save percentage, four shutouts including a 3-0 win in the final game down in Medicine Hat. So we're down to just the U.S. division and the B.C. division, and uh, those are both wrapping up here fairly soon as well as uh, teams in the B.C. division have played up to 19 games uh, through this weekend. That'll get even closer to being finished. And the U.S. division, uh, 20, 21 games for most teams. Tri-Cities only got into 16 because they had to stop for a while. Uh, really, one team in each division has jumped out to uh, show that they're the best. Everett is the top team in the U.S. division, and Kamloops, no real surprise there for me at least, they are the top team in the B.C. division. In the USHL, the conference finals get underway this weekend. Muskegon will take on Chicago. That's in the Eastern Conference. And in the West, it will be Fargo against Sioux City. And I would suggest that it's uh, the Sioux City Musketeers and the Chicago Steel who would be the favorites in those series. But you can challenge me on that if you wish. Uh, meanwhile, in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, the uh, playoffs continue, and that's 
been an adventure to try to follow. Thankfully, I have a guest on uh, this week that will uh, be our tour guide. But what they're calling the quarterfinals is now underway. Valdor with a one-game-to-none lead over Ramuski. That after a 6-2 final. The other series sees Charlottetown against Acadie Bathurst. Shakutami will play Quebec. And the BBR Mata going up against Victoriaville. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Troubled Monk, based out of Red Deer. You can, uh, in normal time, stop by the tap room and uh, enjoy a, a pint right on location. Get some tasty food as well. But if you are not right in Red Deer, but you happen to live between Calgary and St. Albert, including Edmonton and Sherwood Park, all the towns along Highway 2 in between, like Red Deer and Airdrie up to Olds, Carstairs probably in that mix. North of Red Deer, you've got Lacombe and Pinocchio and Leduc. Troubled Monk has a list of uh, places that they will deliver to. It's right on their website. And you can get same-day home delivery for free if when you place your order at troubledmonk.com shop, make sure you put in promo code PIPELINE. Just a single word, PIPELINE. And that'll get you free delivery uh, for your delicious craft beverages. And I say beverages because it's not just beer. They've got spirits. You can get the adequate vodka soda, lemon lime. It's fantastic. I know it's be- become a favorite. You can also get the troubled tea. It's original hard iced tea. The epitaph gin. It's gin and soda. They've got a peach liqueur and a Saskatoon berry liqueur, and a variety of sodas as well, from root beer, ginger ale, orange soda, Saskatoon berry soda. Every once in a while, they get raspberry. Oh, and when they get the raspberry, man, it doesn't stay around, uh, stay available very long because it is fantastic. Troubledmonk.com, it is the sponsor of the hotline here on the Pipeline Show and the guests that you will hear from this week, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. We'll start with a uh, foray into the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League playoff situation. Mike Sanderson, longtime broadcaster out of the queue. He's going to be our guest and our uh, guide through the wilderness. From there, we'll have a 2021 draft spotlight with a player from the queue, probably, in my opinion, the top-ranked player for the 2021 draft. His name is Zachary LaRue. He plays for the Halifax Mooseheads. So we'll get to know him. And a person we've gotten to know over the years here on the Pipeline Show was the broadcaster of the Regina Pats. His name is Phil Andrews. Well, with the uh, Subway Hub wrapping up here recently and the Regina Pats season coming to an end, so does the career for Phil Andrews as the broadcaster for the team. So a final appearance from Phil the Thrill here this week on the Pipeline Show. And we will end it with another 2021 draft spotlight. Shai Bouillam, he's a defenseman with the Sioux City Musketeers. That team starting their play, their uh, USHL Conference Finals series this weekend. And Shai Bouillam, a, a key player in that uh, matchup for the Musketeers. We'll get to know the big six foot three, 210-pound defenseman in the final episode of this week's program. So let's kick it off, though, with Mike Sanderson. We'll go to the queue and get an update of everything that's happening around there. He's first up here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And up comes Trankovic. He's got speed. Trankovic, breakaway to the backhand. Scores! Max Trankovic is second of the season, and it's 2-1. I'm Maxim Trankovic of the St. John Sea Dogs, and this is the Pipeline Show. Hey, 
there's a lot of people with disabilities that can't just go out and find a job. So we set out to create a business to fill those needs, one stick at a time. The store next door gift shop is a Yarmouth-based manufacturer and retail outlet store. So we make great ideas that any of our employees come up with and we reuse and recycle as much as possible. Our most popular item is probably our hockey furniture. We take broken hockey sticks and turn them into different products. We go through a lot of hockey sticks, a lot, a whole lot. Considering that it's only been a year and we're shipping internationally, I think that that's been a huge success. Most people's reactions are, wow, you do this here. We don't accept can't here. Everyone here learns in different ways, but we want to give everybody every opportunity to find exactly what works for them. There's nothing better than when a customer buys something and then one of our employees say, I made that. They have meaningful lives and build things they can be proud of and get a paycheck for it. I'm Amy Acker and we change lives one job at a time. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. All right, thumbs up. Let's do this. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show, and we're going to head to the East Coast and try to get a handle on uh, what is happening in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League because the playoffs are underway. Uh, but it is a, uh, well, it's a unique uh, season this year in the queue, as it is in most uh, leagues uh, around the world when it comes to hockey. But uh, the playoff format in the queue right now, uh, you might need a, uh, a compass and a tour guide, and uh, that's why... I called on uh, my friend Mike Sanderson, who uh, is play-by-play guy, one of them, with the St. John Sea Dogs. Mike, welcome back to the program. How are you? Always my pleasure. Things are great uh, here in the Maritimes for the most part. I mean, all you can ask for, right? Uh, yeah, the queue has been a really interesting year, to say the least, uh, but uh, the only league with uh, playoffs going on in uh, the Canadian Hockey League right now. So uh, it's, uh, things are interesting. It certainly keeps you on your toes. How how challenging has this season been in the queue? I know, I mean, let's recap. It started back in October, pretty much around a little later than normal, but pretty much at the start of the year. And then what lasted about a month, a month and a half, had to shut down, started up again, uh, and then the playoff format. And some teams didn't even get to partake. I know the plan was that all 18 teams would be in the playoffs this year, and that didn't happen. So uh, this has been a, a very bizarre season. Give me your take on uh, the, the what the last... I guess eight months have been like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there aren't too many seasons in any league where you take a break of almost, well, they say almost 120 days. So at least, at least a hundred days for sure from mid November through to, you know, moving, moving up into January and February. I know some teams, they pick back up in January. The teams here in New Brunswick didn't start again until March. Uh, so, you know, you talk about an off season's worth, of time off in the middle of the season, then I have to pick it back up again. And, you know, to, to, to turn the switch back on when it had been off for, for so long can certainly make it very tough. Uh, most teams were able to hit somewhere around uh, close to 30 games. Uh, some of them upwards of 40 uh, teams in terms of the most games played Halifax hit 43. That's the most uh, that any Q team was able to hit and there. They chose not to partake in the playoffs. The team with the lowest uh, number of games played was Victoriaville at 26. Three teams didn't hit 30. Uh, the Wildcats just hit 31 in terms of teams that, that uh, went in the maritime division anyway. And uh, just a really, a weird year. It's so tough to evaluate 
where the year is when you've got teams that didn't play each other, when you've got teams that can only travel in certain distances, when you're unsure if the games next week are going to happen just because, you know, what could happen in COVID-19 or, you know, health risks or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really tough year to prepare. It was a really tough year to look ahead in any way, shape or form, just because, you know, you would never know what would be so far ahead and it'd be tough to plan that far ahead. But, you know, for the queue, it's, it's amazing that they've gotten this far uh, as, as far as they've gotten in this climate, in this situation. And uh, they've made some contingency plans to uh, make sure they can finish the playoffs. And I think at this rate, they should be able to, uh, but uh, it's it's unreal the amount of challenges that uh, came up this year, and for for the Q to be able to get to this far and still be playing hockey is remarkable enough in itself. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Halifax played the most games, 43, and chose not to participate in the in the playoffs. Now we know the women's world championship was supposed to be in uh, Nova Scotia and was cancelled, and it sounded from the outside looking in, the other end of the country sounded like that was because the government said uh, that wasn't going to work out. So was it? The, the government that also prevented Halifax and Cape Breton from playing, or was it their choice? Uh, my understanding is no. Cape Breton and Halifax both decided not to partake in the playoffs because they would have ended up playing Charlottetown anyway, which they'd already done 15, 16 times since January. Mm. And uh, Charlottetown basically beat up on them consistently from the 2021 turn of the calendar on. So for, for Halifax and Cape Breton, competition in terms of dates, in terms of their availability of their building, just medically, and, and the way that Halifax and Nova Scotia is looking now in terms of COVID-19, it turns out it was... Uh, the right choice because Halifax is not in great shape right now. Uh, but uh, that uh, that came out quite uh, quite close to the end of the season that Halifax and Cape Breton basically decided that uh, from this point, you know, there really isn't much of a point in continuing and, uh, you know, playing Charlottetown again, a team that you'd already played for three and four months at a time consistently uh, just decided to pack it in and go for next year. So uh, the Nova Scotia government did have a lot to say about the double IHF event that was uh, postponed that was supposed to be in Halifax and Truro. Uh, but uh, the Mooseheads and the Eagles made that decision. Uh, at least that's hmm. what's been public uh, in terms of their participation in the playoffs. All right. Through the regular season, Charlottetown was the, the team that finished uh, in first place with uh, an 875 winning percentage, Valdor was next with 861 points wise. They had 70 and 62 points. And then after that, a huge drop to everybody else. But it's a year where not everybody played everybody. And certainly the Maritime teams, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, only played each other all year. So that's six clubs, right? Yep, that's correct. That's uh, exactly what happened is only the, the six uh, Maritime teams only played each other. And in the 2021 portion of the campaign, Nova Scotia and PEI teams played each other and the three New Brunswick teams played each other. Right. So it was even further broken down, uh, whereas, you know, Bathurst is, is going to play Charlottetown in this upcoming series and they haven't seen each other since at least November. So, uh, you know, that even magnifies even more the 35 wins to five losses for Charlottetown when you account that a good two-thirds to three-quarters of that is beating Halifax and beating Cape Breton consistently. Halifax is came in with a decent team. Uh, Cape Breton is kind of in year zero of a rebuild, so it's not really a surprise that that's the way it kind of crumbled for them. But mm-hmm. uh, Charlottetown's a very good team, but I think those numbers are inflated a bit. I was going to ask, so is this a, a very big fish in a very small pond? But when you look at all the teams in the league, and I know you didn't personally get a chance to see all the teams because uh, the teams in the, in the province of Quebec didn't come to the Maritimes, 
do you get a sense? I mean, you've seen this league for a number of years. Is this a uh, the best team in the in the league, in your opinion, without having the benefit of seeing the other teams? It's very hard. It, it's very hard to evaluate, and that's something that that uh, that a lot of us were talking about just coming into uh, the postseason in terms of the maritime teams, teams in the maritime division, is what it's going to look like when they finally get to play these Quebec teams, because there really is no measuring stick. There's no comparable mm-hmm. uh, to what you could look into. You're really relying on your your video work and your advanced scouting. Uh, if you're uh, looking forward to to any of these uh, these series, even heading in with uh, Charlottetown and Bathurst, you know you really do have to evaluate what those teams look like over the last three or four months because you haven't seen them since November. Right. Uh, so you know I think it's it's a tough situation for everyone involved. Uh, but to answer your question, I don't think Charlottetown's the best team in the league. I think Valdor is the best team in the league. Uh, just on paper, the amount of star power they have in their lineup, the amount of talent they have in their lineup, I think Valdor is the team to beat, and then there's everyone else. But having said that, the Charlottetown Islanders do boast a really good goaltender in Colton Ellis. They're pretty good on the back end. They're scoring, obviously, if you look at the raw numbers, very, very high. They had the top four scorers in the league this year. Uh, Did we so, Cedric Did we so went off at 42 goals in 40 games. Thomas Casey looked really good. Brett Budgel really broke out. Luca Cormier on the back end. But again, you do have to keep in mind that a good 30 of those games roughly were against Cape Breton and Halifax. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Halifax, a team that is good, uh, but it's really hard to tell how good. They could have maybe been the second-best team in the division. They might have been the fifth-best team in the division. It's really tough to tell in terms of the Maritime Division and the way it shakes down. Uh, Cape Breton, for sure, would have been a bottom-half of the league team if they would have played everybody. So, uh, you know, those numbers also a bit inflated, and that's not to... Uh, disparage any of the effort that they had. Cedric Dudiso is a dangerous player. Thomas Casey's a very good offensive player. Brett Budgel, we've been talking about for years. These are not players that came out of nowhere, but having said that, their numbers are definitely inflated a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think that the virtue of the teams they played really did help them uh, to get to that 35-5 and record. Whereas you look at a team like Valdor, just over the mid-season trading period, picking up Xavier Bernard, Sam Poulain, picking up Jordan Spence, Nathan Legare, just to you know, name their big acquisitions at mid-season. It's not very often a team in a regular campaign picks up that amount of talent at the mid-season trading period on top of the talent they already had and adding Maxim Chaikovic and Jakub Pelche at the draft last year. So, uh, you know, just from a, a sheer numbers perspective, Valdor has to be the favorite. Mike Sanderson uh, is my guest. He's a broadcaster in the queue. He called the number of games for the St. John Sea Dogs this year. Uh, speaking of the Sea Dogs, the playoff format this year, you mentioned Halifax and Cape Breton basically pulled the shoot and uh, gave it to Charlottetown, uh, so they got a buy through uh, what I guess could have been a three-team round robin, which is basically what we saw in New Brunswick, the three teams, Bathurst, St. John, and, and Moncton. Uh, how, was that was that a fun event to be uh, you know at and, and to watch three teams basically fight each other out and last man standing uh, gets to play Charlottetown to uh, to go to the eventual little mini tournament at the at the end of the Q t- playoffs. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it it it, re- it was really remarkable to me how close all three teams were and how much fatigue didn't really set in because if you're playing the same teams, I mean, you know, St. John played Moncton and Bathurst I think 12 times each coming into this round robin and then to have to play a nine game round robin between those same two teams, you know, those three teams know each other as well as any teams could possibly know each other at the end of this of this whole circuit. Um, you know, the the result didn't necessarily surprise me based on the way the teams were playing, but it was definitely 
really interesting because every team beat every other team in this round robin. Hmm. Uh, every team was close with every other team in this round robin. And these are three teams that are kind of in three different situations in, in terms of team building. St. John, a contender, but more contending for next season rather than this season. Uh, but on paper, likely the best team, the three. Acadie Bathurst, a team that added some veterans to their core. They're moving forward, but you know, not necessarily a team you would call a, a big contender, at least at this point. And Moncton, who, who went for it last year, unfortunately, of course, didn't get their chance to go for it. But you know, they really you know, paid, uh, played the tune last year, and now they've got to pay the piper. But Moncton was very aggressive throughout the whole season. They played very well. They were in every game. The scores don't tell uh, how, how much closer they played every team that they played this year. Bathurst comes in with some smart veterans. They played hard and St. John was able to outscore most of their issues this year. So, you know, that uh, created a really interesting round Robin and Bathurst ended up being the team coming out of it. And what's interesting out of that whole series is now Charlottetown hasn't played for two weeks. Right. So now you've got Bathurst, the team that's played six games over the last two weeks against a team that's really sat at home and is a practicing, uh, we're recording Wednesday, practicing today before they head out to Shawinigan for the start of that series, which is another interesting wrinkle of the Quebec playoff format. But the Islanders have been off for a while and Bathurst hasn't. And in this round, Robin Bathurst has shown some weakness in particular areas. Uh, specifically, uh, they've shown they can be a little bit intimidated. They can be fought off the puck a little bit. And Charlottetown's a team that can bring that intensity. Jim Holton coaches that way. They play that way. So it'll be interesting to see how Bathurst can handle that uh, in this series, especially with the Islanders, who certainly will have some rust having, uh, you know, sitting on their couch for two weeks. So it'll be an interesting series, I think, for, for both of those teams to come out with that Maritime division, move further in the Quebec playoffs. Meanwhile, the 12 teams in the province of Quebec, they played six series. That's uh, gone through now, and it was a best of five. So now there are six teams in Quebec left. So three series, the winners of those, that'll be three teams left. They will uh, go to another mini tournament with the winner between that Charlottetown and, and Bathurst series. So you'd have four teams left. There is no Memorial Cup this year, but it's kind of a mini Memorial Cup just within the queue. Uh, is that how they're doing it? Is, will it be a little round robin tournament then as well? Uh, no, it will. My understanding is it will still be series. So the three, from this point forward, all the Quebec teams will be playing at the Centre Vidéotron for the rest of the season. They'll all be playing in Quebec City. So the three Quebec series, Valdor is playing Rimouski, which was an upset, which we'll get to in a sec. Uh, Chicoutimi in Quebec and Victoriaville and Blainville-Boisbriand will all play at the Centre Vidéotron in Quebec City. Uh, their three winners will join the Maritime winner, which that series is being played in Shawinigan starting Friday. Uh, we'll meet them in Quebec City to play a Final Four, but my understanding is that will still be series. Okay. Uh, especially now that they're in a bubble environment in Quebec, they can basically go as long as they want at this point. Uh, so uh, they're going to be looking to do that, and uh, none of the games, as far as I understand, going forward will be in front of fans either. And that's something that would have been interesting from a Maritime perspective, because the Maritime Division is the only one that did play in front of fans this year in terms of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So that kind of eliminates a little bit of potential potential home ice advantage for Bathurst or for Charlottetown uh, for them in that Maritime Division final and potentially going forward. So uh, that's the situation in terms of the uh, Q playoffs moving forward. Uh, but my understanding is that's still series. Mike, from the outside looking in, the, the playoff format in the Q this, this year was probably pretty confusing to casual fans with, you know, you got all the teams in the queue playing each other, and then you have the round robin in New Brunswick, the teams in Nova Scotia not playing at all, Charlottetown sitting there getting a bye. But 
it all seems to have worked out, or at least it's working out pretty well. I, I, don't, I can't think of a better format, as confusing as this one was. What would you have done differently, if anything? I I don't know if there really was anything different to do. I think that it, it worked out almost too perfectly for the league with Halifax and Cape Breton pulling out the advantage of, or whatever you want to call it, of of uh, Charlottetown sitting out so we could still get that first round Robinson since 1989. You might remember we talked about it a few months ago that the previous half form minutes we discussed uh, on the show did have a round Robin in it as well, but that would have been down to the final three, mm. which is always an awkward number to get to. And 18 is a really tough a number to get down to a nice, even, satisfying playoff. And, you know, to get down to eight from this mixture is really impressive. And not only that, but you've got eight. You can go into a bubble with six, which then get, then go into a bubble with four. You've got Charlottetown and Bathurst. Now we'll start their series on Friday uh, in Shawinigan, of all places, uh, but uh, in their own kind of bubble event, sort of. And then we'll move to Quebec City, at least the, the winning team will there to get to a Final Four. And it, it, it worked out, uh, like I said, almost too perfectly, like in a satisfying way uh, that it worked out to get the 16 down to this eight that they have now, then down to the four and into the President's Cup. And, you know, it, it's I don't know if there's a way that you could script it any better, that you could get uh, this kind of movement, this kind of, uh, ability to get down to a satisfying number to get to a great conclusion, but uh, the Quebec Major Junior uh, Hockey League was able to get there somehow, and uh, you know, kudos to them for being able to get it there. I mm-hmm. suppose. Yeah, for sure. I think the fact that they were able to play as many games as they did this year, kudos to the league. They shut down when they had to, and uh, were able to play in front of fans in some venues. So, yeah, there's I think more positives to take away from this series or this, this season rather than negatives and um i'm just looking hopefully gosh hopefully next season we're back to normal knock on wood that that happens before i let you go mike i know you've done some scouting in the past the the uh, draft eligible players for this year uh out of the queue uh, is there immediately one guy that comes to mind uh, I think at the start of the year, the, the real competition might have been between Zach Leroux and Zach Bolduc uh, from Ramuski and Moncton. Uh, you know, I think that there's another name that's really kind of surfaced himself uh, up on that list, and that's Evie Bulgul from the uh, Shawinigan Cataracts. But in terms of the number one player from the queue, I don't know if there really is that number one player, but certainly Borgo has made himself pretty good. I like what Leroux brings to his game. He's a guy who's a buzzsaw. He's active all the time, but there are deficiencies in his game that teams may not like, but uh, certainly uh, he'd be a fan favorite wherever he goes. He's a very good competitor, and Bolduc obviously brings some offensive pedigree as well. So, you know, those three are pretty strong. Olivier Nadeau has really put himself on the map uh, of his season playing with Maverick Bork, which is opportunity if you can get it uh to be able to play with the first rounder of uh, of dallas but uh 45 points for him in 34 but the toughest part about evaluating players from the queue and evaluating players from anywhere and you know Guy, you know it all year long that you know how do you compare this season compared to previous years coming into the draft where every team would have that you know that bulk of video scouting you can go to that bulk of live view you can go to and you know maritime teams did get a decent amount of 
of viewings uh, in terms of the scouts in Quebec. I mean, if you were able to get into the building somehow, you might have been able to see some of it. But uh, the challenge in the queue is the challenge everywhere. And, you know, the tough part is how do you evaluate mm-hmm. uh, these games against only particular teams, right? So we were talking about it earlier in the segment about the Islanders, the Charlottetown Islanders, where how do you evaluate their ability to play as a team when they only played two teams in four months? And the same with Moncton and St. John and Bathurst. How do you evaluate you know, what their team is like and what their players necessarily can hit uh, in terms of talent, in terms of their, their potential when they only play two other teams. You know, it's a, it's a really, really tough year uh, to evaluate players, and that's not, that's not a, new, a new thing. I mean, the OHL didn't play. The WHL was able to get some games together, but with no playoff. I mean, you know, it's, it's a tough year for everybody. So, you know, for the Q, I think that the fact that players were able to showcase themselves at least a little bit uh, is a help for them. I know in talking about the Q draft, and of course this is even in NHL context a couple of years away, but in terms of the Q draft, a lot of the players that are highly touted for the Q in that very key year of that 14, 15, 16-year-old age season uh, is maritime focus because that league played. The Quebec League did not play at the midget level this year, the under-18 level this year. So, uh, you know, it, in terms of evaluation, I think that necessarily when we talk about how tough this year is to evaluate the tough year might be in a couple of years time having players that missed that very key development year uh, for a lot of those situations the under 18 level the under 15 level I think that that's where the effects really are going to come in going forward but you know in terms of players from the queue I think that the list that was there at the start of the year and the list that's there now is mostly the same probably more of the same than it would be in previous years just because players didn't necessarily get an opportunity to play themselves up or play themselves down um you know another player to look out for is Joshua Wow we talked about him earlier this year as well yep. him getting traded to Sherbrooke getting a bit of a bigger role in Sherbrooke I think will help him it depends on on what uh, what scouts and teams feel like about his trade at midseason his team was knocked out of the playoffs pretty handily uh, by uh, the uh, Shikutami Saganians, but uh, either way, you know, there's there's a lot of good draft eligible talent in the queue. It just depends on how you evaluate them compared to OHL prospects that didn't play at all and WHL prospects that would have played only a little bit in terms of the Canadian Hockey League. I do think that uh, upcoming potential event. Uh, soon before the NHL draft in terms of a bubble competition that has been talked about by many pundits, uh, potentially in in a hub city, potentially Edmonton, uh, to have some top prospects playing together for a few games to at least get them on the ice, uh, I think will help uh, quite a bit in terms of evaluating where players are, because these are some players that haven't played in a calendar year. Not very many. Some of them got loaned out, but there are some players that certainly are on NHL radars that haven't played in a long time. And I think that you know, that's that would be the biggest concern. Quick thoughts on guys like Riley Kidney, who's leading the, the playoffs in scoring, was had 38 points in 33 games. You saw him with Bathurst. Cole Huckins, his teammate, another point-per-game player, really big center. I don't hear anything about those guys uh, on at this end of the country. Why not? Why why don't we hear more about those guys? Robert Orr, another one in Halifax. Uh, obviously, the name Bobby Orr, you're going to hear that every time Willie Palov is <laughs> tweeting about uh, these things that Bobby Orr is doing on the ice. It it doesn't. It feels weird. Sounds weird. But what do guys like that uh, have? What have they shown you? Uh, I think uh, let's talk about the two Bathurst players first. Uh, even with Bathurst having won the Memorial Cup a couple of years ago, uh, their profile in terms of media markets, in terms of uh, their exposure is a little bit less than some other teams. I think that having the smallest market in the CHL, that does 
have an effect, and that's not a detriment to to these two players. Riley Kidney is an excellent offensive uh, contributor. He's a pretty good playmaker. Uh, Cole Huckins, the thing I like most about his game is that he's got a really good edge to it. He's already got the size. Once he fills out, he's going to be a, a, a pro player for sure. And and really good offensive talent. But with Cole Huckins, he's a guy who's not afraid to get to the net in any scenario, and he doesn't back down from anybody. Riley Kidney does a great job in using his teammates. He does a great job at surveying the scene, at you know finding teammates in the right spot. And uh, you know that's going to be very useful going forward. I think that Huckins projects a little bit higher than Kidney does at this moment, just because Hawkins can project to be uh, a, a few different players at the professional level. If he's not scoring, he can do some other things. Whereas Riley Kidney's in a position where smart player, pretty good on the back check, but his size at this moment uh, doesn't help him as much as Hawkins does. Uh, in terms of uh, Bobby Orr or Robert Orr uh, in Halifax, uh, 15 goals obviously is uh, is a really good number, especially for a rookie at the Q level. That'd be third on the team. Uh, you know, you look at, we talked about Zach Lutter already, you did not enough people are talking about Elliot Denoyer, who's probably going to sign an ATO here with uh, his Philly organization this year to get some AHL reps, uh, was practicing this week down in Allentown. And, uh, you know, not enough people are talking about Elliot Denoyer and the talent that he brings uh, to the table that Halifax Moosehead, someone I've been high on for years. And, you know, putting Robert Orr in that lineup, he knows where to be, and that's a really good advantage as a as a scorer, as he's someone who knows where to put himself. He's got a good nose for the net, and scouts really like to see that. Obviously, the name is uh, is what it is, and <laughs> you know you don't name yourself or you don't uh, you're not named Robert Orr without that uh, obviously being known in a hockey context. Uh, but uh, you know he brings his own uh, his own offensive capabilities to the table, so it'll be interesting to see uh, which team picks him out. And uh, the team picking him won't be picking him just because of the name, that's for sure. Mike, I really appreciate your time. Wouldn't it be ironic though if the Bruins took him? Oh my gosh, that would be something. Uh, <laughs> the marketing right itself. <laughs> thanks for doing this, Mike. Hey, I appreciate your time as always, and uh, maybe we'll chat again before the draft. Hopefully so. Love uh, love it all the time, and uh, thanks so much. Mike Sanderson doing Mike Sanderson type things, namely knocking it out of the park. And I always appreciate when Mike is able to come on because the way he pronounces the French names is it's like music. It's like poetry. It's so it's so good. It puts me it makes me feel shame. I got the French name. I have uh, some French background in my uh, family history. And um, and I am ashamed to say that I cannot uh, hold a conversation in French, let alone uh, pronounce all the French names as smoothly as Mike does. But I'll try, because up next in the 2021 Draft Spotlight, Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads is scheduled to be my guest. We'll talk to him about this past season, how weird it was for him, and also, the Mooseheads not playing. Why isn't he down in Texas? Well, I asked, he answered, and that's next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. And Raymond stays with him, Lafreniere pokes it ahead, still has it. Rolling puck, Lafreniere works it, shoots, scores! What a goal by Alexi Lafreniere! A superstar in the making! This is Alexi Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Spurs Grove St. AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. 
Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash's King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Oh my! Hey, it's the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we're going to turn on the 2021 draft spotlight and uh, get to know another player that's eligible for the NHL draft. We do it all season long, and we've been doing it for uh, well over a decade now. So uh, at this time of year, we're usually getting really close to the NHL draft. This year's draft pushed back at least a month uh, to this point. Knock on wood that uh, it still goes at the end of July as planned. My next guest, well, he's uh, being touted as a first-round pick. I think every list that I've seen out there has him penciled in to the first round. Uh, unfortunately, his uh, team, at the Halifax Mooseheads, did not participate in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League playoffs, and I'll find out why he's not at the uh, U18s right now in Texas, as Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads is my guest. Zach, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, yourself? I'm I'm fine. I'm uh, pleased to get a chance to talk with you. I'll be honest, I didn't know if you would be available because I thought if the Mooseheads weren't playing, you'd be down in Texas. What's the what's the situation there? Yeah, um, I think uh, it's definitely an unfortunate situation and the chain of events of how it happened and, you know, the league's not allowing us to go. And uh, by the time, you know, we, we found out our season was over, it was really too late. You know, the team uh, was already was already mentioned, was already, you know, involved. So we couldn't... Uh, we can get a release and, and be ready in time for the tournament. Now oh, that's got to be frustrating because I mean the team itself is not playing. Uh, so you, I mean, even if this was a normal year and the Mooseheads were not in the playoffs or still alive, you'd be el- eligible to go. So unfortunate for sure. And I, I imagine I'm sorry to pick a, a sore spot there to to start things off. Sorry about that. Uh, let's let's talk about this season that was though. And man, what a weird year it must have been uh, with the way. It started in the queue and then the big pause and then getting back to it, but only playing the Maritime teams all season long. Tell me about this season. What was it like for you? Yeah, I think it was definitely a roller coaster. I think uh, it was definitely one of the, the, the tougher seasons on everybody in the league, but at least everybody's kind of in the same boat. You know, you're playing the, the same Maritime teams for for the, for the whole season. It definitely gets long, and then you know, the rivalries get uh, get built up. And uh, you know, at the same time, I think we're we're just fortunate we were allowed to play. I think us in Halifax, we had the most games by any CHL team. So even though we weren't able to participate in playoffs, I think I still think you know we, we were able to play a, a lot of games, and, and I think it's an achievement and, and it's a step in the right direction with all this COVID. And a big season for you: 39 points in 33 games. You were a point per game guy last year uh, with uh, Moncton. So new team. I don't know if uh, you know how long it takes to feel comfortable with new teammates and all that, but. Uh, were you happy with the season that you had once you you were able to play? Yeah, I think you know it was, it was a bit of an up and down for me too, and it took me some time to kind of adapt and and you know get, get used to this role here that that I had on on the the, the Mooseheads. But I think at the end of that, I had a great season. I think you know I, I ended up on ended off on a strong note. Really, my last two three months were, was my best hockey of the year. So I definitely think uh, you know I improved from day one, and I'm happy about uh, you know the, the way the season went. How did things change? You mentioned getting used to a new role. I mean, second year in the league, you'd start to take on a more of a veteran 
uh, role with the, you know, if you were still in Moncton, that would have been the case. But to go to a new franchise, maybe new things were asked from you as well. Uh, what was the difference? Yeah, well, definitely coming off of last year, I think we had a, a much older team. You know, we had, we had a lot of veterans, and I was able to kind of sit back and and not not be in the, in, in the spotlight. I think mm-hmm. I was kind of just in, in more of a shadow and and, uh, and just kind of watching and learning from from all the the amazing guys we had on the team and the leaders. And I think when I, when I got to Halifax right away, you know, uh, our team was was very young. We, you know, we had you know four sixteen year olds, a lot of seventeen, eighteen year olds. So. I definitely think that that you know having a, a great first year, I was able to kind of bring more of a, of a leadership role, and, and I think you know I was a guy that that my team can lean on in any situation, and, and you know my coach could have trust in the, to really put me anywhere, and I think you know I, I played a lot more minutes and a lot more important minutes than I did last year, so I definitely think I had a bigger role this year. Uh, yeah, a younger team, but uh, a, a good skilled team, and a lot of guys. Uh, well, a few of your teammates draft eligible as well, and and uh, even Elliot Denoyer, who was drafted last year, uh, certainly not a uh, an old player in the league. Um, so it's good to kind of get in, uh, you know, in Halifax where you're all building towards something together at a young age where you can kind of develop together over the next couple of years. Is that, uh, you know, how you have to look at it, even though it was in a lot of ways a tough season, but, you know, there's still better things coming. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it's a process. And I think, you know, that's how, how junior hockey works. You know, you usually get one year and then it's, it's a rebuild process and that's where we were. But I think, you know, we have some really good young, talented players on our team right now that that are be great, going to be great for us in the future. And, and I think, you know, just just the way that the they had an, an involvement on in our team this year and what, what they're able to bring. You know, having so many young players, a lot of them have to step up and play some important minutes and, and some important roles on the team, but they are all able to do it. And, and I think, you know, it, it just shows how how important they are on our team and how important they're going to be in the future of this organization. Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads is my guest here on the Pipeline Show as we uh, as we turn on the 2021 draft spotlight. Uh, what we like to do in this part of the show, Zach, is is let my audience get to know somebody that's draft eligible, and, and there'll be casual NHL fans who don't spend any time thinking about the CHL at all who might be listening to this. Never have heard of you, probably have never seen a, a Mooseheads game. So for the benefit of those people, uh, let's get a little bit of background. Uh, where are you from? Um, from just outside uh, Montreal, Quebec. Uh, I was born there and raised there my whole life. Bilingual then? Yeah, exactly. I'm uh, perfectly bilingual. And I always went to, I've been always going to French school, but more for uh, an English family. But uh, I'm perfectly bilingual. Yes. Uh, I was, you know, I had no idea if, uh, what your English would be like I, when I talked to the the Mooseheads <laughs> to set this up. I asked because sometimes the, with the French guys over the phone, it could be a challenge. But uh, I don't even. There yeah. isn't even a hint of an, an accent for you so was was english your first language and you learned french as well or was it the other way around and you're just really smooth at both no i actually i was english first for about uh, five, the first five years you know i knew a few french words but uh once i started going to school my parents put me in uh, french school right away and i picked up the language uh, really easily so i've been speaking it since uh, i've been a kid and just kind of something that i'm really fluent at all right perfect now, how old were you when you first started playing hockey I was three years old when my dad first put me on skates. Classic backyard uh, ice rink kind of story? Uh, I think it was just kind of, you know, city, city park, you know, ice rink, just uh, by the house at the park, yeah. Uh, have you always been a forward, Zach, or did you try other positions? Uh, I think I was always really a forward. I've never really tried, you know, there's always those, those games where you ask the coach if you can play D, and he puts you out there for a couple shifts when, when you're growing up, but... But at the end of the day, I've always really been a forward. I think, you know, I, I kind of played everywhere, and now I've kind of more set myself as, as a left winger. But, hmm. but yeah, I've always really been a forward. 
What about in net when you're a kid? Did, it, did the coach ever uh, make you take a turn, put the pads on? Yeah, I think uh, you know in mag when when you're growing up, when you're you're, you're four, five, six years old, kind of just rotates around. And, yeah. And I and I think I enjoyed it, and I, I wouldn't have mind, but I think it was it was more the, the amount of money it would have cost my parents. I don't think my dad would have, would have enjoyed that. <laughs> no kidding. Um, take me back to the uh, the draft in the queue, and you didn't have to wait long to hear your name that day, uh, third overall pick by the uh, the Wildcats a, a couple of years ago. What was that experience like for you? I know. In the WHL, it's a little different. It's pretty low key. It's in a hotel, and the players aren't there. But in the queue, there's more of a almost an NHL feel to it, isn't there? Yeah, it's exactly that. We were at the you know the Videotron Center in Quebec, which is basically an NHL rink. So mm-hmm. you know, there's five, six, seven thousand people there. I couldn't tell you exactly, but it was definitely definitely cool to you know hear your name, walk up, and and that experience and the way that the queue does it, I think it's, it's a lot better than the other leagues. And it's one thing that they can pat themselves on the back for, because it's definitely memories for life for, for you and every guy in that, uh, in that building that, uh, you know, here's our name getting called. So it's definitely, it's definitely cool. And, and it's an honor. Yeah, I agree. I, I do like the, uh, the showcase of it uh, like that. Now, 53 points last year in 55 games for the Wildcats. I mentioned, uh, I mean, when you go to that team and you're a third overall pick, there's got to be some pressure that goes along with it. It doesn't seem to have affected you on the on the you know on the stats line, but do you feel that pressure when you're taking that high as I got to be an impact guy right away? Yeah, well, I think you know there's, there's definitely a little bit of pressure and a little bit of just you know nervous, you know, being a, being a young 16 year old kid and showing up to a training camp with you know 20 year olds that that you know have been in the league for so long and, and just they're they're men and you're just showing up as a little kid. I think uh, <laughs> I think it's it's definitely intimidating. And there's the nerves on top of it of being you know such a high pick, and you know you don't want to show up and, and you know make anybody upset. You want to you know and you want to please everybody. You want to play your, your your A hockey game, your best game. But you know it's not always like that. So it was definitely you know it was definitely you know interesting for me at training camp showing up and, and having all these nerves. But I think once the season hit, you know I I was really just prepared. I was focused, and you know I had a really good start. So I definitely. You know, a lot of nerves were shaking away there, and a lot of pressure off my back, kind of. And I think, you know, just the way the season was going, it was just a day at a time, just getting better and better, and then about an amazing season. And then we know what happens at the end of the year, where the the uh, the playoffs wiped out, the end of the regular season wiped out, and then out of nowhere, you kind of get traded. And I I don't expect the guys taking third overall to get moved from one team to another. Did it catch you off guard, or did you have an inkling that was coming? Uh, I actually knew pretty much since Christmas time when, when the deal was ha- happened. Wow. Uh, my agent called me around that time and, and told me, you know, this is a possibility that's going to happen. You know, we, we were going to go get, you know, Jeremy Isaac and Ben O'Groom, who were arguably two of our, our best players on the team once we went and got him. But the, definitely the sacrifice was to, to be sending me and, and you know, my, my buddy Elliot. And I think, you know, it's one of those things that, that you know, my agent asked me, I think, it was going to make the team better, and you know, I was going from Moncton, which is a great spot to play, to Halifax, which is you know almost even better, and it's truly really incredible, and it's special for me to be able to play for 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 two great organizations. But you know, I think uh, you know I, I did what was best for the team, and, and it's definitely not something that I'm upset about. That's amazing. That's one of the other differences between the Q and the other uh, leagues. You don't see that happen in the WHL, where a guy is traded, knows he's been traded to the other team, but. He's going to stay with one team until the end of the year, and then that'll be an off-season thing. Boy, that does not happen anywhere else yeah. other than the queue. That's amazing. Um, now, getting to uh, to Halifax, obviously a different team and all that. How long does it, does it take to, to feel comfortable inside the dressing room? You mentioned Elliot, uh, so you had a familiar face there. Does that help? 
yeah, I think it definitely helps, you know, coming, coming with a guy like that, that, you know, we, we get along, you know, very well. We drove up together. So, so definitely having, you know, someone that you can always go talk to and rely on and that, that, that you can trust is, is fun to have in the locker room at the beginning when you're just kind of getting to know the guys. But I think there's, there's a few guys, you know, Cam and I not, we play together at the U-17, you know, some few guys that, that you kind of just know by name. And there's actually, you know, a few of our, of our rookies that are that are 17 that that that, I ended, that was playing hockey with when I was younger, so there, there there was a lot of familiar faces, you know, when I showed up at training camp, and and it didn't take long, you know, the guys are great here, they they really respected me and and, and you know welcomed me in uh, to to the team, so it, it was definitely it was definitely not a, a hard adaptation to to do. Zachary Larue, my guest, plays with the Halifax Mooseheads and draft eligible uh, this uh, this summer. Uh, for the NHL draft, the 2021 draft. And I mentioned, Zach, everybody, every ranking I've seen seems to have you in the first round at somewhere, you know, in the 20s or in the teens. Is the draft something you spent uh, much time thinking about uh, maybe during the season or now that the season is over? Are you thinking about it more? Yeah, definitely not if the season is over. And I know, you know, there there may be showcases or something before the draft, but, but right now that you know, my last game could have been my last chance to, to prove to the scouts. So definitely thinking about it more now. Of course, during the season, it's definitely something that's kind of just in the back of your brain that, that you try not to think about. That, but at the same time, you know, it's everywhere. It's on the news. It's on Twitter. It kind of doesn't go away. So, so it's definitely something that I don't try to think about. I try to really just focus on the game. But, but, but now, you know, it's definitely something that's around the corner. That I'm excited for that. That you know, I'm kind of anxious for the for the day to come. But. But at the same time, it's really excited. I think it's going to be a great day for, for me and my family. And, and no matter what happens, it's still an honor to, to you know, to, to be able to participate in it. The sheet I'm looking at says five foot eleven, 196 pounds, but that might have been at the start of the season. I have no idea. So what are you at right now? I'm about 5'11", and I kind of lost a bit. So I'd say about 192, 193. The, do, you, do you feel that five pounds difference on the ice much, or is it really not that noticeable? Well, I actually went up a little bit before I went down, so it was definitely a larger gap when when I when I lost my weight. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something that, that you kind of feel faster on the ice. You, you kind of just feel lighter on your feet, and I think you know it's, it changes from guys to guys. But I think you know for, for myself personally, I think it, it was good for me to kind of lose that that little bit extra weight to kind of feel more faster and stronger on the ice. Again, for the benefit of those casual NHL fans, you should give us a, a self-scouting report. Uh, what should we know about uh, Zachary LaRue and, and the way you play the game? Yeah, I think, you know, I consider myself a power forward. I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a strong, competitive guy that, that, you know, wants to go out there and win every battle. And I think, you know, around the net is really what I strive. You know, if it's, it's on a power play, I just, you know, bring the puck to the net and kind of, you know, powering my way through to, 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 to those areas of the ice. I think uh, I kind of... Uh, you know, succeed in those. You know, I think uh, if I was to compare myself, uh, you know, like a Matthew Kachuk, a Brad Marchand type of type of player, you know, somebody that can, you know, get in anybody's face and, and that won't back down from any any challenge. But but you know, it's he's there to stick up for for his teammates and, and stick up for himself. And yeah. So you want to piss everybody else off and just play a hard nosed game and and put up some points for your team? Is that it? <laughs> Yeah, that's about it. I think uh, you know I'm I'm fun to be around, but but the play against I don't think a lot of guys enjoy it. This year, 19 goals, 20 assists. Do you see yourself more as a shooter or, or the setup guy? Uh, I think I'm a, I'm a bit of both. I think you know uh, I have a good shot, and I maybe don't use it enough, and I and I try to to use a bit more finesse and skill. But at the end of the day, I think you know I I see the play well. I have good you know hockey sense and vision, and and I can you know be a good passer. Like I can you know know when the time to you know rip one. So. I 
I think you know I can I can put up goals and I can put up assists too. So I think it's you know it's kind of a dual threat. I wouldn't say there's there's one that I'm more than the other. Nice. Uh, well, growing up in Montreal, does that automatically make you a, a, a fan of the Habs, or were you cheering for somebody else behind enemy lines? I mean, definitely growing up near Montreal, that's really the the talk around town. It's the it's you know we're the blood and the, and you know it's in, it's in everybody. And I definitely grew up a Montreal fan. Nice, awesome. Well, whatever happens to the draft, it should be a fun day, uh, and I'm sure you won't have to wait long again, uh, like you didn't have to for the uh, the draft in the queue. Zach, I really appreciate your time, man. Best of luck. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Zachary LaRue in the 2021 draft spotlight from the Halifax Mooseheads. And, uh, man, I really like the way he described himself as a player. I, I've always been a sucker for those guys who are hard to play against. They get in your face. They don't take crap from anybody. They, they're going to stir the pot themselves. But they help their team on the scoreboard. They don't just take penalties and they don't just agitate. They are the guys who can also provide the offense. He's the second leading scorer on his team this year. Those are the type of guys I always think, uh, if I could have a team, if I was running a team, those those are the guys I think I would try to win with, would be the guys that are really hard to play against. They agitate, they get under your skin, but they can play the game too. And, you know, he mentioned Brad Marchant and, and the two Kachucks, and those those three guys fit that bill for sure. We'll have another 2021 Draft Spotlight segment to close out this week's show. That one will be with American defenseman Shea Booyam. But coming up next is the classic voice of the Regina Pats, Phil the Thrill Andrews. And uh, what might be, probably is going to be his final appearance here on the Pipeline Show as he uh, hangs up his microphone. But we'll get his recap of the Subway Hub Next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Now Connor Hoff ships the puck to center for Steele, lead a 2-1-1. Steele across the line, right side, waits, goes backhanded, scores! Oh my, what a goal, Sam Steele! He absolutely undressed Trevor Martin for a second strike game! Hey, I'm Sam Steele from the Regina Pats, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. The Troubled Monk Brew of the Week. Hey, it's one of my personal favorites, but tell the people about it. The Daycation Mexican Lager. When the chores are done, the lawn is mowed or the sidewalk shoveled. This Mexican lager is perfect for floating on fresh powder or floating down the river. Daycation Lager is a little getaway. Every day. Player comparable, Sidney Crosby can do it all and is always in the conversation of the very best. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show, and we'll continue on with this week's episode with a, a uh, in-the-dub segment. Those, of course, uh, our friends at Dub Network, always bringing you and keeping you up to speed on what's happening around the Western Hockey League. And, uh, well, things starting to quiet down a little bit now as the East Division's done, the Central Division almost done. So it'll just be the BC Division, and actually not that far from now, the U.S. Division will be done as well. No playoffs this year, unfortunately. 
but let's go uh, to Regina, where the subway hub, the bubble, was, and uh, check in and see how things went with the the voice. No more of the Regina Pats, as uh, Phil Andrews uh, joins me for potentially the last time. Phil, we might have to make special occasion to get you back on, but thanks for doing this, pal. How are you? I'm good, pal. I'm good. I guess I'm going to have to drum up some reason to, to warrant being on the show in the next few years. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but we'll figure it out. Was this kind of bittersweet for you to, to get back there for this uh, the, the bubble hockey in Regina and, and finish off the, the career behind the mic? Yeah, I'd say the last game was bittersweet. Um, you know, I, I was talking with somebody and they, they pointed out to me that, you know, most guys don't get the opportunity to know that they're doing their last game. Right. You know, it just kind of ends and it's out of your control. And so I, I got that opportunity, which I'm very grateful for. Um, it all just kind of worked out. You know, I, I was done in the off season, and then, you know, for things to kind of come together, being, you know, that all games were in Regina and it was just, you know, six weeks. I was willing to commit to that. They asked if I'd come back for this last little 24 games, and I got to do that, which was uh, really cool to be able to do and kind of say goodbye to it and you know, get a chance to see Bedard in person for a little bit. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was a good six weeks for sure. All right. Well, we'll look back at the career in a second, but maybe let's talk about the Pats and, and all the hockey that you saw uh, inside the, uh, what was it, the Subway Hub? Were we calling it a hub or a pod yeah. or a bubble, or what were we calling Subway. it? Subway Hub, yeah, I think Hub is the right one. Yeah, the right. sub- East Division Subway Hub. You got her. <laughs> All right. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, Connor Bedard makes his WHL debut, and that's – I, I was having a conversation with somebody earlier today, and it's not often you can say things live up to the hype, but uh, I think he does. Yeah, I think he might have even outlived it, man. Like, I, I don't <laughs> – like those 15 games, like he was must-see TV. Like yeah, he was the best player on the ice, and he's 15 years old. Like yeah. I, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, average almost two points a game as a 15-year-old. But I mean, you know, you and I, I mean, you've seen some incredible young kids come through Edmonton and, and throughout the league. But to be that big impact at that age, I mean, it's just it doesn't happen. I mean. It, it, Talking even to opposing coaches in the hub, I and mean, James Patrick said it to me the last game. You know, it's like he's the best 15 year old he's ever seen in his life. I mean, it's, it was just so special because, you know, there is hype, like you said, but then, you know, you, you don't know what to expect because he's so young and how's he going to adjust? And, mm-hmm. you know, he comes out, scores two goals his first game and, you know, was leading the league in scoring when he left for, for the under 18 world championships. I mean, you, you couldn't have even written it better for him, I don't think, to start the career. And, and there was some personal tragedy involved at the end there, too, right? His grandfather, yeah. who he was really close with, passes away, and he comes out and scores, what, one or two goals the next game? Yeah, both, including the overtime winner and a right. 2-1 win over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those instances, like, you know, you see it in sport all the time, where it's, for whatever reason, you know, competition brings out, you know, some of those real cool moments that are, you know, bigger than you know, you or I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I mean, even I was sitting there that night and I was thinking about, you know, when Brett Favre lost his dad and, you know, he went out Monday night football and threw four touchdown passes in the first half in Oakwood. Like, you know, like those type of moments where, you know, yeah, he found out his dad died after the game on Tuesday, or his grandpa died in a, you know, car crash after the game the Tuesday night. And the team offered to fly him home the next day so he could be with his family. He said, no, I want to stay until Friday for the last game. And he came out and the patch taking on the best team in the hub and, he scores the, the tying goal in second period, and then the OT winner on the power play. I mean, it's just you couldn't have, you couldn't have written a script better for him to be able to, you know, tribute to his grandfather, who, like you said, he was very close to. And yeah, that was a, a special moment, uh, probably the biggest moment of the, the season for for John and for him. 
that's the stuff of legends. Um, for for somebody that you know, maybe somebody out east calls you or says you know wants to pick your brain about him. What makes him special? Like, what is it? Is there one <laughs> trait, or is it does he just check every box really, really hard? Like, are they just giant check marks at every box? Yeah, man, that's that's like I've, I've talked to all, like anybody that I talk to asks about him, and that's that's what I said is like there there's no holes, right? Like he he skates so well. He shoots the puck harder than anybody on our team. He's 15 years old. His hockey sense is off the charts. He's got skill to spare. I mean, he tried scoring a lacrosse goal twice in 15 games as a 15 year old. And he almost did it the second time. Like, you know, like he's just, his abilities are uh, like unfathomable for being that age. Right. I mean, he just, he does it all. And yeah, he's fun to watch, man. And he's not going to be long for the league. Like he's one of those kids that, you know, is going to be in the NHL at 18. He's just, he's that good. And, uh, yeah, he checks every box. Well, and having a really good tournament for Canada at the U18 right now as we speak. Uh, they just knocked off Sweden, and he was uh, an, another star in that contest as well. Three goals and an assist. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, the rest of the Pats, I mean, you look at the final standings, and it doesn't look all that impressive. But uh, what do you take away from what, what you saw from Regina uh, during the hub? I, I would say they took a step. Um you know, with the guard, they were about a 500 team. And, you know, you compare that to the last two years since the Memorial Cup, you know, when they, you know, barely reached the 20 win plateau last year and fell short of 20 wins with 19 the year before. And, you know, had, you know, weren't even close to us, you know, even pushing for a playoff spot in the second half of the year. So, yeah. you know, I, I think with the guard and then the step that, you know, Reich Revens took on the back end as a 19 year old at a heck of a season. And, you know, Logan Nyhoff as a 19 year old at a really good year too. And, and Carson Denemy fit in real well with Bedard, but he's graduated now. So I, I think that there was some other guys that complimented Connor coming, you know, a year later that are, are you know taking that step as you see with guys as they get older in the league. And you know, I I think there's you know some real future with a lot of the young kids aside from Bedard, a real good goaltender with Matthew Keeper as a 16 year old played very well. So there's uh there's light at the end of the tunnel, I would say, through this rebuild. And I, I think they're a team that can challenge for a playoff spot next year and hopefully we're talking about you know a full season in the playoffs come come the fall so uh, they're on the right track i would say i mean they're not by any means weren't challenging brandon winnipeg or saskatoon for you know that top spot in the division but you know we're right in the thick of it with the other four teams that were were here and prince albert moose john swift or those four clubs with regina were kind of in a battle there for that four spot so they took a step i would say and, and are on the right path all right, and you pointed out that Brandon was the best team in the hub, but it, but it was close. I mean, those top three teams, Brandon, Winnipeg, Saskatoon, uh, really tight. They they looked like they were all, if this was a normal season, they were all contending for first place in the division and home ice well into into the playoffs. Uh, what did you see from the, those three teams? Like, what what's going to stand out from you from the your time in the hub uh, or watching those games, calling those games from those three clubs? Well, for Brandon, it's depth. Uh, I mean, you know, they they had their, you know, their big guys, Ridley, Greg, and Braden Schneider on the back end. But, I mean, they could throw three, almost four lines at you, and, and they were dynamite. I mean, they got some great young kids, and we know that, you know, the, the prowess they've had in some trades, you know, the Casper and Clegg trades that allowed them to pick, what, three times in the first round in 2019, twice last year, and they get another three picks coming this year. Like, they're a club that is built to be good for – I mean, the foreseeable future. They're not going to have a lull, mm. I don't think. I mean, they got some really good young talent on their squad, especially up front. 
And so they're they're an exciting team going forward because uh, I mean yes their old guys led the way but they also had some real good young pieces that showed that they're going to be great players in the league. So for me the depth was the big thing for Brandon. For Winnipeg it was Peyton Krebs. Um, what a season he had! I mean he didn't have a point in the first game of the year yet points in all 23 games to finish the season uh, and you know i finished the year with 43 points in, in 24 games i mean he's he was special and very fun to watch and with Connor mcclennan up front they were a dangerous team and they, they played well they got goaltending from a couple of young guys they had kind of a three-way goal there with stankowski hauser and and alexander they all played well and you know they got a back end even though they lost their top two guys in carson lambos and nolan orzek that, that played very well so they're a really good club in Winnipeg, um, and they had a good season. There's, there's no doubt about that. They'll miss Krebs next year, though, when he turns pro. And Saskatoon and Meta, uh, I don't know if they, if they didn't suffer the injuries that they did yeah. late in the year. We could have been talking about them winning the division because, I mean, you lose Tristan Robbins, you lose Colton Black up front. I mean, two of your you know, more dynamic forwards, and then maybe your number one guy on the back end, Nathan Delagorjandier, went down as well, and. And they had a rough ending to the year. I mean, they're a club that didn't score a ton during the year, but they were so stingy defensively. And Nolan Meyer was, I mean, for my money, the best goalie in the hub. So, yeah, there's three really good teams, and they were the class of the division. There's no doubt. Uh, you mentioned Connor McLennan. Great to see that he was healthy the entire year. Here's a guy who battled injury so much. And although some guys went down to injury, there are those positive stories too, guys who needed to have uh, some playing time and further to their development. McClendon's the first guy that com- comes to my mind when I think of that. Yeah, and he had a great year, man. I mean, you're right. He battled the injury bug and that in his first couple of years. But, you know, he was he's dynamic. I mean, he's not he's not the biggest kid. He's, you know, kind of comparable to Cochran Kovic in Saskatoon where they're, you know, five, mm. seven, five, eight, but they can skate and they can they got skill and McClendon can shoot the puck. I mean, he had a he had a really good season. Yeah, it's a, it's always good to see guys like that who you know can do it, you know, stay healthy and, and be consistent for a season. Of the draft eligible players, anyone really like the fires for the the scouts that that may or I, were were the scouts allowed there? I'm not sure. Yeah, there they were. There was a, a section that was full on most nights. Uh, I mean, I I wouldn't. I mean, it's tough for me to say that a guy really stood out. You know, I mean there. There's good players. There's no doubt that are that are going to get drafted at the Western Hockey League, and I'm kind of blanking on some names here. As you ask well, Ryder Korzak and Moose Jaw is a guy. Vincent Iorio and Brandon, a couple guys for there. But those to me are guys that go late. Like you know, like they're not they're not first three rounds in okay. my opinion. Like you know, like they're, they're. I mean, you see those guys like you know Ryder Korzak and skill and that type of thing, but I, I don't see him as being you know a top hundred pick. I'd say he'd be a later in the draft and. You know, Iorio for his size and, you know, his skating ability could go a little higher than that, but there's nobody that really blows you out of the water, I guess I would say, that, you know, is, you know is going to be a first-round pick come come the draft later this year. Well, now that it's all said and done, uh, what's next for you, Phil? Well, uh, uh, I've actually accepted a position with Athletes in Action here at the University of Saskatchewan, so looking forward to working with some uh, University athletes and being home with my wife and kids every day for something on the weekend. So, yeah, <laughs> I'm excited for this new chapter. I'm sure you've chatted with a lot of people about what's kind of been the career highlights and stuff, but maybe can you share some of those with uh, with the audience and what's good, you know, those yeah. things that you think about 10 years from now, what's going to stand out for you? Well, I, I think the number one thing is, I mean, this is going to sound kind of cliche and soft and whatever, but the number one thing for me is just like the people, right? And, and, 
you know, in, in working in hockey and, you know, getting to meet people and being at the rink on a daily basis. I mean, there's some really good, incredible people that, that make this hockey world go around. And, you know, I was, had the pleasure of working with, you know, guys and four of them that I'd call my best friends in the whole world this last 10 years and, and working with some great coaches from Pat Conacher to, you know, Dave Struce this year. And, you know, I'm going to miss that part, being at the rink and, you know, seeing my buddies and all that type of stuff on a, on a daily basis. But in terms of actual games, and those moments that I'll always remember, uh, I think, well, the six, 15, sorry, 16, 17 season when the team won 52 games and went to the league final, um, that was a special year to be a part of, uh, to see that team and how good they were and how fun it was to, to go to the rink every day and just how great a team they were, uh, off the ice too. Like that was just, it was just a special season. And then in terms of like a single game, it'd be the Memorial Cup final in 2018 when they beat the Dogs to go to the, the 100th Memorial Cup final. Uh, they didn't win that in 2018, but that game with Max Paddock and goal standing on his head and Sam yeah. Steele scoring a big goal in the third to, to extend the, the lead to two and kind of seal it. So yeah, that that would be my favorite game, I guess I would say, uh, for, for this past. So that's yeah, been fun, man. I, I've had a lot of fun over 10 years and, uh, really grateful to, to have been able to do it for as long as I did. Well, and you did it so well. And you know you did a great job, and you have the respect of your peers when there are other guys in the league who do uh, Phil Andrews' impressions. And I don't know if you've heard some of them. <laughs> I, I wish I had some of them that I could share with you right now. Maybe by the time I put the show together, I'll get some of those from some of the other guys. But, like, Andrew Peard does a great Phil Andrews, and I've heard Cam Moon oh, do a Phil man. Andrews. It's great, man. You do a fantastic job. I, You know, selfishly, I hope it's not the last time we hear you calling games. But uh, best of luck, man, whatever happens uh, uh, down the road for you. I appreciate it, pal. I'm really glad you don't have those clips because I would, I would, that would hurt me to listen to. I don't, I don't want anybody. I don't even like listening to myself. I don't hear somebody else. Do it, but I appreciate it. Maybe one day down the road, we'll be back at her. But uh, I appreciate uh, everything and and uh, for you having me on today. All right. Best of luck, man. Cheers. Phil Andrews, the uh, voice of the. Regina Pats, but uh, not any longer. And uh, I didn't mention it at the end there, but it was always great when it was his job to uh, set up interviews and stuff, handle media requests. He was always terrific at that. Uh, And just a great guy to have on the show, great guy to talk to at the rink, and a fantastic broadcaster as well. It's a a loss for the Western Hockey League, that's for sure. Um, But, you know, it provides opportunity for another new broadcaster to come in and, and take his place. I... I don't envy that guy. Uh, big shoes to fill in Regina behind the mic. Uh, that was once occupied by Phil Andrews. I don't have any of the uh, impressions, but uh, maybe one day. Next time I have Andrew Peard on the show, maybe I'll ask him to give me uh, his best Phil Andrews call. All right, one more segment to go. We'll get back to the Troubled Monk hotline, and we'll end it with a 2021 draft spotlight. And my guest will be defenseman Shea Booyam, who plays... For the Sioux City Musketeers, they are uh, off to the semifinal in the USHL playoffs, getting set to play this weekend. We'll talk to him about the uh, the season, the playoffs, the draft, and more next here on the Pipeline Show. Head note to this break. Take one more listen. This is Phil Andrews in action behind the mic with the Regina Pats. Left wing side, surveys Borowski to the offensive zone. Pass right side. Henry is shot and he scores. Oh, what a goal! 21 seconds into the second, and the Pats lead 3-0. Hey, uh, this is Nick Henry from the Regina Pats, and this is the Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, 
development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris wow, and Duncan Keith and future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we're going to end this week's episode uh, much the same as we uh, uh, nearly started it this week, and that's with another 2021 Draft Spotlight segment. We'll get to know another player that is eligible for the upcoming NHL Draft. This year, it's been pushed back, but not as far as last year. It's going to be in July at the moment, uh, knock on wood, that it's in July this year. Uh, my next guest is uh, playing in the USHL this season with the Sioux City Musketeers. That big defenseman, that's Shai Bowie. Uh, Shai, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And just for the benefit of the listeners, I'm going to apologize. I know it's not the first time you've heard it, but I butchered your name when uh, when we first chatted. How often do you get you hear your name screwed up? You know, you, you go to a visiting team's rink and you, you get a goal or you take a penalty or something and they announce your name inside the rink. How often do they get it wrong? Yeah, probably two out of the three times they'll say it wrong. But, I mean, I'm used to it. Well, makes me feel a little better. But it's Shy Booyam, not Shay. When it's mispronounced, that's, I'm guessing, how uh, the most frequent way it's uh, mispronounced. Yeah. Well, uh, your club getting ready for... The semifinal in the USHL playoffs, uh, taking on Fargo, starts this weekend. Uh, I'm, what's the the atmosphere like in the dressing room, guys? Uh, I'm I'm assuming are pretty pumped. Yeah, we're we're really really excited. I mean, we're just ready to to get to this conference finals and and beat Fargo. So yeah, we're really excited. What's the season series like between the two of you? Um, I think we've beat them six or seven times, and they've beat us three or four times. So. All right, so you got a little bit of an edge. That's good to hear. The playoffs thus far, I mean, it's this whole season has been different, abnormal than what it usually is. But how would you kind of assess the way the team has been playing here down the stretch and into the postseason? Yeah, we've been playing unbelievable this past 20 games. I mean, we've we've won almost, I think, 16 or 17 of our last 20. So we're really just playing for each other and playing for the win. Best time of the year to get hot, isn't it, going into the playoffs? Yeah, it, it's been an incredible experience. When you guys are winning games like this and you're on a hot streak, compared to maybe you're you're you know 500 over a, a two week stretch or something, can you tell what the difference is? You know, right now you're playing hot, but and having success. But what's the difference? What are you doing now that maybe you're not doing right on the games that you do lose? I don't know. I mean, uh, it's obviously everyone's in a much better mood, and the locker room's always just super electric, and everyone's having a great time when we're winning and then when we're losing I mean you just got to find the a way to get back on track and uh keep winning I mean when you're losing it's hard but it's a grind so I mean you got to love the process 26 points for you this season uh, through 50 games you did have three game uh, dip your toe in the waters kind of feeling last year with the musketeers but this being your first full season pretty happy with the way you played yeah, I mean, I feel like I've gotten better every game and I've learned so much this whole season from my coaches and teammates and just watching other players. So, yeah, I'm 
I'm happy with the way I've played so far. Has your role sort of grown as the year has gone on? I mean, as a rookie, most guys would, would enter a season and try to, you know, they'd play limited minutes at first, try to find what their their job is on the team and, and grow from there. Was it similar for you or were you thrust into the deep end of the pool right away? No, it was pretty similar for me. I mean, when I first came in, it was in December. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't play too much. I only played – yeah, I didn't play too much in the beginning and then finally started getting really into it and started playing more. And I, you got you got to earn your spot to play. So, right. I mean, yeah, I went through that whole thing. Nice. Uh, Shai Buiam is my guest. He's a defenseman with the Sioux City Musketeers out of the USHL. Uh, Shai, I was telling you, in this part of the show, we like to uh, get my, let my audience get, get to know somebody in your position being a, a draft-eligible player, and there will be those casual NHL fans who don't pay attention to junior or college hockey at all, uh, but their favorite team might select you in the draft, and then they'll be doing homework and trying to learn everything about you. So for the benefit of those people, maybe let's get some background uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in San Diego, California. The hockey hotbed of uh, the United States, San Diego. What got you interested in hockey at, at that point? Because uh, I don't know what the minor hockey situation is, is like in, in SoCal like that. Uh, but what uh, drew your attention to hockey? Well, uh, my cousin used to play hockey. Uh, he used to play just uh, the local teams. And I would love watching him go play. I was like six years old. I'd go watch him play all the time in the mornings and stuff. So asked my mom when I was six if I, if I could play, and she said, yeah, so very very lucky. Nice. Uh, did you get your start skating like uh, rollerblades, or did you take to the ice right away? I started on ice right away. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I broke a couple helmets and stuff, you know. I was a clumsy kid. <laughs> I'm trying to think of other uh, native San Diegans. Uh, is it San Diegans? Is that how you pronounce it? Uh, guys from San Diego that have gone on to have you know, professional success. I'm, I'm thinking Thatcher Demko is, is one. Is he not from San yep. Diego? Yeah, I skated with him. I skated with him this summer, yeah. Nice. Uh, is I, I don't imagine that the list is really long just yet, but anybody else that come to mind? Um, no. <laughs> I have to, I'd have to go look. Right. I mean, I, I know there are, but I'm not off the top of my head right now. No worries. A good show host would have that in front of him right now, so I apologize that I didn't have a list. <laughs> I, I won't make you do my homework for me. Uh, Shai Booyam is my guest. All right, so you're from San Diego, uh, but obviously you're playing now in the USHL, and I know you went to to Shattuck St. Mary's as well for, what, three, four seasons. Um, that's a big jump and a move away from home at a young age. How difficult was that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard being away from home, but, I mean, I really liked it. I enjoyed it. Shattuck really makes you feel at home over there, and it's an incredible spot. So, I mean, it wasn't too hard. I, I was with your friends, and your coaches. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's really fun over there. Uh, you're a defenseman. Have you always been on the blue line or at younger ages? Did you, did you try other positions? Yeah. I mean, I, I was a forward my first year Bantams. I was a D my first year Bantams as well. So, wow. I mean, I was a forward in Peewee. So yeah, I was forward and defense all the time. Do you think having that exposure to other positions makes you a better defenseman? Yeah. I think you look at the game differently from different positions and then you learn to play offensive. Also, when you're forward, so I mean, yeah, playing playing forward probably helped me defensively and offensively. So, do you think you should throw the pads on uh, every once in a while in practice or something and learn what it's like to be a goalie? <laughs> no, I'm okay. <laughs> I don't know. When I was a kid, you know, in, in novice and things like that, uh, you, all the kids had to take their turn in net uh, because 
at a young age, everybody wants to score the goals and nobody wants to play a net. D- did he have that experience at all? Did he ever have to throw the pads on when you were little? No, I have, I've never been in the net before. Uh, no interest, eh? No, don't want to try that. No. All right, well, Shai, you, you're now in the USHL, and, and we talked about moving there from, from Shattuck and you know finding your way in. Was the USHL always a, an end goal for you, that that was a league that you knew about growing up and you, you said that you wanted to play there? I didn't really know about it when I was in California until I got to Shattuck St. Mary's. I mean, I barely even knew what college hockey was when I was in California. But when I was at Shattuck, yeah, I mean, I always wanted to come play in the USHL. I knew it's a great way for development. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's really fun and it's a really hard league, but it's it's a good challenge. Now I know you being in California uh, when it comes to the Canadian Hockey League, you're in WHL territory. Is there a WHL club that that has your rights that has listed you? Yeah, Portland Winterhawks listed me back in the day. Always the Portland Winterhawks. They always have a, a way of finding a top American talent, no question. And it's the furthest <laughs> uh, south southern team uh, in the in the WHL. Was that ever a consideration for you? I know you have NCAA aspirations, but when Portland shows an interest in you, does that intrigue you at all? Yeah, I mean it's super intriguing. They have. I went over there for the camp once and or twice but yeah i mean it was super cool i mean great coaching staff and everything so yeah yeah, it was it was definitely an option but i just feel college hockey's best for me all right and that college would be the university of denver and uh it's it's been a defenseman factory over the years Uh, so obviously a a place that is able to develop uh, defensemen for the next level i'm guessing that was part of the attraction for that particular program was just their experience with blue liners yeah, I mean, that and also just like unreal coaching staff and weight room and just a great place to develop and get an education. I mean, it's kind of like Shattuck St. Mary's, a little smaller um, in size, but it's it's really cool and I'm super excited to go in. Uh, will that be next year or the year after? Um, uh, this This fall. All right, so not that far away. What sort of areas of your game are you still trying to fine-tune and, and improve on maybe before you get to the college level and, and while you're at college, things you're going to focus on? I mean, yeah, I just got to keep working on everything, really. I mean, I, I really want to focus on my skating and my shot probably the most. I mean, skating's become such an important part of the game, so having the skating ability to move around the ice, be more agile and stuff, yeah, probably my skating the most. One of the advantages that you have is your... 6'3 and 200, uh, what, 215, something like that? That's the sheet I'm looking at. That might be added. Yeah, what are you at now? Yeah, like 210. Still 6'3 or is that out of date too? Yeah, 6'3, 6'3. So a lot of guys, when I ask a similar question, they say, well, I want to get bigger and stronger, but you're already big and strong. Have you always been like one of the biggest kids in your class? Uh, Yeah, I've always been on the bigger side. All right, so it's not Going like up. a it's not like a sudden growth spurt that you had when you turned 14 or something. No, no, I was always bigger than everyone else. When you're that size, is there? I should ask you for a self scouting report, but I'm I'm assuming there's some sort of physical side to your game that uh, you like throwing the body around. Um, yeah, I mean, I like to use my body. I'm not a big open ice hitter, though. I don't just go and kill kids. I'm, I use my body to like protect the puck and stuff. All right, so if if somebody who hasn't had a chance to watch you play, what should they expect to see? from you on a nightly basis so how would you describe yourself as a player um i mean uh i think i'm good at the, in the d zone but uh i like playing in the o zone a lot i love walking up blue line and creating offense 
And that's the most fun part of the game. The offense that you have this year, I mentioned 26 points. Four of those are goals, but 22 assists. So the picture I have in my head is you're the guy who gives the puck to the shooter rather than the guy on the power play with the, <laughs> with the big trigger. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, you could say that. You've heard that a few times, have you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I like to pass the puck. Maybe too much? Do, do you ever get told you should shoot more? Sometimes. My coach screams at me. I'm guessing that's a hard mental switch to make, though, if, if passing is what comes naturally. Uh, then to shoot the puck all the time might be tough. Yeah, it's fine. All right. Uh, Shai, what's, uh, uh, you, when you think about the NHL draft, and I don't know how much during the course of the season you think about it, most guys tell me they try not to, but there are players who tell me that they're always checking to see the, the various rankings out there and, and see who has them ranked high and who doesn't, and they use that as motivation. Uh, what about for you? Yeah, no, I don't really like to think about it too much. I kind of just like to go out there and play and play my game and whatever happens happens well this uh this season obviously a big one with the the uh, draft come up in july does it is it almost like some guys tell me it's like running a marathon you see that finish line but it seems like it takes forever for it to come um does, does it feel like that to you in some way that the draft is still you know it's getting closer but it's still you know a few months away yeah i mean it's it seems like it time flew by but at the same time it's so far away so yeah, I mean, I, I, I see what they're saying, and I kind of agree with that. All right. Well, did you have a favorite team growing up? SoCal? Does that mean, I don't know, is it the Kings or the or the Sharks or uh, or Anaheim? I was a Kings fan. Any particular player in the organization that you've had a chance to watch that you, you admire the way he plays? Um, I always watch Drew Doughty play hockey. Of course, yeah. He's, he's he's so fun to watch. Hard to be a, you know, a, say, that's a guy that I think I can be like, but nice to have aspirations that high. Is there somebody that, you know, in the NHL now that you think, well, I could probably play a role like that guy does? Or is it Doughty? I don't really feel like I play like anyone. I like to just, like, watch the best players. Like, Kale McCarr, he's my favorite player to watch. Wow. So I watch him and Victor Hedman and Drew Doughty and all those guys, and I kind of just see what I can do from their game and put it into mine. Well, Shai, listen, I appreciate your time today. I uh, enjoyed the conversation a lot. Uh, wish you the best of luck, and maybe while you're with the Pioneers, uh, we'll have a chat again. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Shai Booyam from the Sioux City Musketeers getting set for the USHL semifinal. Uh, that starts this weekend. They've got Fargo on their side, but as he said, uh, they're playing extremely good hockey right now, so probably go into that series as the favorites uh, to come out of uh, that side of the conference in the USHL playoffs. All right, with that, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. That means it's uh, cleanup time. Time for me to remind you that if you haven't got a bidet yet, you're missing out. Time to stop wiping and start washing your butt. It is way better for you. It's way better for the environment. Way less toilet paper. And there's a reason that bidets are so popular around the world. We haven't caught on it yet here in North America, but you can. Go to hellotushy.com slash pipeline. You get an automatic 10% off just for using that code, and uh, get with the cool kids. Start using a bidet. Next week on the program, probably a review of the World U18 uh, Men's Championship uh, down in Texas. As I'm speaking with you now, Canada knocking off Russia to uh, capture the gold medal this year. Big differences at the tournament. Obviously, uh, Canada was able to send the absolute best players that they had available, with the exception of the players from the queue who weren't allowed to go. Zachary Leroux, who you heard earlier on this week's episode uh, expressing some disappointment with uh, with that situation uh, from, from his standpoint. Obviously, he probably would have been on that team. 
Uh, and a disappointing showing for the host United States, as uh, this is a, a team that usually is on the what 16-year straight streak of finishing on the podium. Most of that time spent getting a gold medal. Uh, they failed to hit the podium this year for the first time in 16 seasons. Yes, they were without some of their key players. you got to wonder if this was a tournament that was like this every year, where all the nations were able to send their top uh, under-18 players. Would it be much like the World Junior Championship? In fact, more like the Ivan Holinka, except at the Holinka, the U.S. doesn't send their A squad. And at the U18, usually Canada can't send their A squad because most of the players, or a lot of the players, are still tied up in CHL playoffs. Well, that not the case this year for most of the guys, and that's why Canada was so strong at this tournament and come away with the gold medal. Your thoughts? You can uh, share them with me on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. So I'm sure we'll have a U18 recap or a look back, and uh, then we're going to continue hard towards the NHL draft. You heard two 2021 draft spotlights on this week's episode maybe there'll be two again next week the whl central division will have been wrapped up the u.s division getting close to being finished as well so with the the games dwindling down all we can do is talk to uh, players who are draft eligible so expect that in uh, bunches as we get closer and closer to the 2021 draft Thanks to everybody again for tuning in and downloading this week's episode. I hope you'll be back for more. And of course, if you want to become a patron and get early access to all the content you hear on a full episode, go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show and uh, sign up. You get a heads up of who's coming on the show. You get a chance to submit questions for the guests and you get early access to the uh, conversations and those interviews with the guests. Usually uh, posted about an hour after the interview is complete. A little bit different this week as a, uh, well, it just wasn't possible for me, but you're still patrons. We're still getting these um, interviews a day or two before the actual show was uh, coming out. So they get some advance notice and uh, reap the rewards for their support for the program. Don't forget, if you are in uh, Leduc or Spruce Grove, make sure you stop by Wilhock Beef Jerky and grab some of the best beef jerky you've ever had, guaranteed. And if you're in Western Canada, you can't get there, you can order it online and they will send it to you. Trust me, you will be thanking me for it. You can tweet at me when you get your shipment and uh, let me know how awesome it is. All right, until next week, everybody. I hope you enjoy the weekend. My name is Keith Flaming. See ya. See ya.